Welcome to February. Another month has passed. Another month, another month has begun. So we've been in Philippians now for one month. Uh, we're still in chapter one. We'll be here for the next few weeks. What we've seen so far in these first 11 verses is Paul's love for this church. He, he's affectionate towards this church. He desires for them to love Jesus. He has great joy in Christ because of their gospel partnership. Seeing the gospel go forth in Philippi, in Macedonia, to the ends of the earth. Last week we saw this prayer, this prayer that just overflowed with emotion and love and joy towards these people. He, he longed for them to abound, to overflow in love and righteousness that's found in Christ Jesus. So that's where he's begun this book, this writing to the saints in Philippi. He's, he's thanked God for them. He's prayed for them. And now what he's going to do is he's going to give them a little update on what's happening in his life. If you remember, they sent Epaphroditus to, to, to Paul to give an update and to take some, some, some things that he needed. And now he's, he's sending this letter back to answer some of the questions and also give them an update. But what you're going to notice as we go into these three verses is, yes, Paul's giving them an update on his life. But it's not really focused on his life. It's focused on Christ Jesus. Yes, he's going to say, I'm imprisoned, but the gospel's advancing. I'm imprisoned, but everybody's hearing about Jesus. Because for, Jesus, for, for Paul, Jesus was his life. Jesus was his life. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He tells the Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul desires not to focus on his current circumstances, but on the gospel advancing, even in difficult times. You see, Paul's suffering right now. He's being persecuted because he's a follower of Christ Jesus. Yet, he's not focused on his suffering. Suffering, the reality is, I know as I look around at our congregation as I as I think about our, our shut-ins, as I think about those who aren't here this morning, suffering is real, right? We go through different seasons of suffering. And, and, and suffering is real because we live in a broken world. Our world is not the way it's supposed to be. Genesis 1 and 2 gives us a beautiful picture of how God created the world. Yet in Genesis 3, we see that evil, sin, has come into this world and it's, it's cracked it. It's broken. There's a variety of ways we suffer. We suffer when we're sick. We suffer when we have a loved one die. We suffer when we lose our jobs. We suffer when relationships are broken. Here specifically, Paul is suffering because of persecution. Paul is suffering at the hands of the Romans. He's in prison awaiting trial. He is suffering, yet he doesn't focus on his life, but he focuses on Christ. It doesn't matter what we're going through if we're focused on Christ Jesus. In the good and the bad. In the happy and the sad. 
if our focus is on Christ Jesus, there's joy, there's, there's happiness, even in the midst of that. Our lives are his, and we live in light of that. And as we live in light of that, this is what's going to happen. The gospel will advance, and our brothers and sisters in Christ are going to be bold for Christ Jesus. Bold as they see us suffer well, looking to Christ, pointing others to Jesus. The, the big idea this morning from these three verses, from Paul's life, this is what we see. As we suffer for Christ, the gospel advances and the church is fearless. The church is fearless. Let's read these three verses and then I'd like to pray for us. Remember, Paul is coming right out of a prayer for them and then he gives them an update here in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Let's pray. Father, we need your spirit now. I need your spirit. We need your spirit. Give us understanding of your word. Lord, we know that, that your word is is alive. It's active. We know that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. God, we ask now by your spirit that you would pierce our hearts. Give us understanding. God, may this, may this word focus us on Christ Jesus, the ultimate treasure, the pearl of great price. We want to live for him. We want the world to know him, that they may bow the knee to King Jesus, that they may confess him as Lord. Father, we desire to see worshipers. We desire to see people who love Jesus and want to make him known. Father, would you do your work now in our lives, we pray. It's in Christ, Christ's name. Amen. Paul is encouraging these Philippians, these brothers and sisters, these saints, right? They have cause to be shamed, to be guilty of what Paul's going through. Their, their brother in the faith is imprisoned. They could be ashamed of that and turn away. They could feel guilty of that, not providing enough. Yet Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, I want you to know, church, that what's happening right now is furthering the gospel. It's actually working to see lives changed. He's in prison and he wants them to have assurance that everything that is happening to him is for Christ Jesus. He doesn't want them to be ashamed. He wants them to draw confidence and boldness from what he's experienced. Verse 12 shows Paul's desire for them to know, for them to understand that his imprisonment is serving the kingdom of God. You see, while he's in prison, the gospel is advancing. The kingdom of God is continuing to go forth. And he's just giving them an update on this. His suffering is advancing the gospel. The advancement of the gospel is what drives everything for Paul. He wants to go to new places to see the gospel go forth. 
We read, Emma read for us in, in Acts 20. Hey, I'm going to Jerusalem. I know what awaits imprisonment, persecution, a trial. I know that's happening. I'm, he, he goes on to say, then just, just think about this for a minute in Acts 20. These are dear brothers that he's raised up in the Lord to lead this church, the elders of Ephesus. He says, I know I won't see you again. I'm not going to see you again. He knows he's going to die for the sake of the gospel. Yet he continues to advance. He continues to preach. He continues to be bold and not ashamed. He longs to see the gospel go forth. You see, Paul could have stayed in these places and he would have been fine. He'd have been provided for. He would have, he would have continued to make disciples. Yet he says, I press on. He says, I'm actually, I, I want to go to Spain. That's what he tells them in Romans 15. He says, I want to go to Spain where the gospel has never been preached. The advancement of the gospel was on the forefront of Paul's mind because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of selling all you have, going and buying a field, right, and having that treasure. He's worth it. We see this exemplified in Paul's life. Paul here this is, a, this is a word we normally just kind of skip over, right? He says, I want you to know, brothers, right? This is a familial term, right? Like, this is family, brothers and sisters. This is, uh, we can quickly pass over this, but this has a lot of meaning here, right? The family of God is the church. Paul here, he's calling these Philippian saints brothers and sisters. He wants them to feel, hey, we're family, Yes, I'm imprisoned right now, but the gospel is advancing. I'm in prison right now, but that doesn't, that doesn't divide us. It actually draws us even closer together. You can pray on behalf of this, brothers and sisters. It's a simple word, but it's packed with so much meaning. It's, a, it's incredible to think, right, that we have brothers and sisters all over the world because of Christ Jesus. Right? George told me this morning that he's a, he's a UNC fan. Right? UNC and Duke played last night. I'm sure there's other UNC fans in here. I'm not. I'm not. We're unified in Christ Jesus. We're brothers in Christ, although we're at opposite ends of this rivalry. We're unified in Christ Jesus. Right? Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. I want you to know, brothers, I want you to know that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul gives us here an incredible example of how we respond to adversity, how we respond to trials, how we respond to suffering. In this passage, one, one commentator said this, Paul does not concentrate our gaze on the chained wrist, but holding up the chain before our eyes, he makes us look through its links at the effect of these bonds upon the work and the church. He says, Jesus is using these chains to further the gospel. Look through the chains, not at my circumstances. Look at how the gospel is advancing in Rome and across the world. Look at how it's encouraging the saints in Rome. May it be an encouragement to you, Philippi. May it be an encouragement to you, King's Church. Look through the chains. Look through the suffering to see how Jesus is using it to advance his kingdom. 
We can learn from Paul in these few verses. Today, what we want to see from this passage is really two ways God uses our suffering to advance his gospel. The gospel advances and the church is fearless. As we suffer for Christ, this is what we'll see. You may, you may be sitting here right now. You may be going, I, I'm not really suffering for Jesus. My life is, my life is good. All my needs are being met. I, I'm surrounded by a, a body of believers that encourages me, that spurs me on. Right? So you may be thinking, I'm not suffering. You may be even thinking, hey, I'm not really going through any trials right now. Like, I'm, I'm being comforted by the Spirit. I'm, I'm joyful in Christ. If that's you this morning, I praise God that that's your testimony. But see this as a, as a prep for the future. See this as a prep for when you suffer, when you go through adversity, when you go through trials, because they're coming. Jesus, or Paul tells Timothy, if you desire godliness, you will be persecuted. You will be persecuted. Right now, think about where you work, where you go to school, your neighborhood, the people you're around. You will be ostracized at work if you start standing on what the word of God says. When you say that marriage is between a man and a woman, when you say that gender is only male and female and you don't get to choose, when you say that life begins at conception, when you preach religious freedom, when you preach the exclusivity of Christ, that he is the only way to God, persecution will come. As we suffer for Christ, the gospel advances. And that's what Paul wants us to see in 12 and 13. I want you to know, brothers, I want you to know. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be strengthened. I want you to be confident. I want you to be bold. I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. God's sovereignty is on display here. Paul acknowledges God's sovereignty, that God is in control of human affairs, and he uses them to see his gospel go forth. Although Paul was in chains, the word of God was not in chains. The word of God was unleashed through the chains of Paul. This advancement means to progress or the furtherance of the gospel. The word is found in 125. We'll see that in a few weeks. And he's praying that, that they would progress in the faith. In 1 Timothy 4.15, the same. There's a progression in the faith. This, this advance, he says it's happening outside the church and within the church in verses 13 and 14. This advance word can also mean blazing a trail. The gospel is on the move. The gospel is moving forth to new territories. This is what Jesus said was going to happen. He said, go and make disciples. All authority is mine. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. There was a, there was a progress to be made. There was a furtherance. There was an advancement. He says in, in Acts 1.8, hey, and when you receive, you'll receive power from the Holy Spirit and you'll be my witnesses. He begins in Jerusalem, but he goes to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The gospel has to advance because people must hear of Jesus Christ to be saved. If not, they will spend eternity separated from God, the God who created them. The gospel must advance, and, advance, and it advances through the suffering of the saints, through the persecution of the saints. 
Paul is sharing in Christ's suffering. That's his perspective here. In 3.10, he's going to say, I want to share in Christ's suffering. This is why he can say his imprisonment is for Christ. That's what he says in verse, verse 13. So that it's become known throughout the whole imperial, imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. His life was lived for Christ Jesus. Paul is living out what Joseph proclaimed to his brothers in Genesis 50, 20. Y'all know this verse. You've heard this verse. As for you, talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Right? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. We see this in the cross of Christ. Right? What you meant for evil, God meant for good, that salvation may come to this world. Paul is saying the same thing. Hey, Romans. Hey, persecutors, what you meant for evil, God has meant for good, and it's actually advancing the gospel in spite of what you may think, in spite of what you're trying to do. So a question, do you live, do we live all of life with this perspective? perspective? Do you live for the advancement of the gospel? Are you, are you taking advantage of your current circumstances to proclaim the gospel. We live in a country that believes in religious freedom. That's, where, that's why we're able to do this right here. We can gather on Sunday mornings and we don't have guns outside coming in, right? We're not being disbanded. We're not being put in prison. So right now, are, are we living in a way that's advancing the gospel? Are we living in our current circumstances? Are we taking advantage of our freedoms to go and advance the gospel? Suffering, trials, adversity. Let us remember that no moment will ever again be like this. Let there be something for Jesus in it. As you're suffering, as you're going through adversity, remember there's not going to be another moment like this. Do something for Jesus in the midst of those trials, those sufferings, those adversities. When Christy and I were serving in in South Asia, we met a pastor in one of the little little towns outside of our larger city. And his story was incredible. So it was, man, tons of grief. Tons of persecution, tons of suffering. His brother had, had gone into a little town, um, probably like 50, 60 miles away from where they grew up, and he started preaching the gospel. It was, a, it was a town that had never heard the gospel. And so their response to the gospel was to murder him. They beat him and they killed him right there in the street. So he's, this pastor finds out about all this, right? His brother has been murdered for the sake of the gospel, so several months go by, and this pastor is, is praying. He's, he's getting counsel from others. And the Lord, he said the Lord just laid it on his heart that he needed to go to that town and preach the gospel. So he goes, and miraculously, the gospel goes forth. It's heard, and a church was planted in that city. I mean, several months, I mean, from, from them murdering his brother. I just think about God's sovereignty in that. Think about how God was, was preparing the soil even in the midst of persecution and suffering. These people who once killed now are 
being saved. Like this is the power of the gospel at work. You think of Jim Elliott's story in Ecuador, right? He was, he was murdered along with, with several other missionaries for going and, and desiring to see the gospel go forth in this tribe. Years later, Elizabeth Elliott goes back and, and the gospel is sown and people are, people are receiving Jesus and churches are planted. In God's economy, it's so different than ours. Right? We, we, don't think, we don't think that way. We're probably going to shy away and run away. Yet, yet God says in his word, and what we see is, no, what, what they meant for evil, I meant for good. So that salvation could come. So that these people could be saved. This is how the gospel goes forth. Paul says unbelievers are hearing the gospel even while he's in chains. Paul's proclaiming the gospel in prison. He says that the whole imperial guards heard it. This could be upwards of 9,000 people. 9,000 soldiers. Like, just, just think about that. What's he talking about? How, Paul? Like, you've gone through 9,000 different people that have been chained to your wrist, that have sat with you in that cell? I don't think so. I don't think that's what he's talking about. But he says there that, he says that throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ, people are seeing his suffering. And they're knowing that it's for Jesus. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, as you've been around here, we've talked about oikos. We've talked about this idea of, of, of knowing, you know, as, as we think about those that we're connected with, right? Most of us are connected with more than just one or two people. Most of us have friends in different areas, and they have friends. So if you think about it, as, as you share with this soldier, this soldier goes home and can share with his family, who's going to share with other neighbors. It's the same way throughout. We're going to share and share and share, and the gospel continues to go forth. So that's what's happening. And Paul can say, no, it's gone throughout the whole imperial garden to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. We can multiply disciples through this. But as I was thinking about this, right, why is Paul's life so compelling? Like, what is, what is special about this man's life that people, the, the guard, right, and the rest in the city are understanding that, understanding that everything is for Christ Jesus? What's going on? I think as a prisoner, he's exuding joy because of knowing Christ Jesus. We saw this in Philippi when we first opened up this book, right? Acts 16. The Paul and <clears throat> Silas... They're in the prison, and they're singing, and they're making a joyful noise to the Lord, and, and the Lord opens up the jail cell. He, he drops the chains from their wrists, and the, 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 soul, or the, the jailer, he's sitting there about to kill himself. And Paul says, hold on. There was something special about Paul's life and his relationship with Christ Jesus. Because at that moment, this this, this jailer says, what must I do to be saved? He saw something different in Paul's life. That's why these, these guards, that's why these people's lives are being changed. They see something different. He's not sitting there going, woe is me. He's a, he's a stark contrast to other prisoners. The other prisoners are probably fearing for their life. He's saying, no, kill me. It's gain. It's gain. I get to meet Jesus. He's shining as light in a, in a wicked world. And he's going to give us the same exhortation, the Philippians, the same exhortation in chapter 2. 
This, this idea is really how we came to the mission of King's Church. We want to see our people equipped to enjoy Christ and evangelize the lost. Enjoyment, rejoicing, joyfulness is something the world doesn't know. It's a, it's a Christian word because it comes from Christ Jesus. Jesus says, I'll give you my joy and I'll make it complete in John 15. And that joy looks different than happiness because in the midst of suffering, we have joy. We don't have to be happy. And a lot of times we're not going to be. We're going to be sad, yet we're joyful. That's what the gospel does in our lives. That's what knowing Jesus does. And that joy in Christ is clearly seen. And then we have opportunities to share. Hey, Paul, why are you so joyful being chained to me? Let me tell you about Jesus. Hey, hey, church, why are you so joyful at the loss of a loved one? Let me tell you, it's because of Jesus Christ. That's a testimony. That's a witness to Jesus. As we, as we think about our area here, this community, just within a few miles of here, it's 70,000 plus people. <clears throat> Students, we have a we have a campus that's 29,000, 30,000 students, right? How can we be confident that everyone is hearing the gospel? How can we say like Paul, hey, everyone is heard? What does that look like? I think it's starting small. It's, it's being faithful to those you know. And then it multiplies out. If we're faithful to tell 10 people, and they're faithful to tell 10 people, you see the multiplication. It goes from 10 to 100 to 1,000 to 10,000, right? We see this. This is what happens as we're eager and bold to share the gospel. The gospel advances. This is one of the reasons in our small groups we, we, we enjoy hearing each week, hey, what gospel conversations have you had this week? Not to shame, but to encourage See, it's this suffering for Christ is becoming apparent to everyone around Paul because he exudes Christ Jesus. He exudes this fruit of righteousness that comes from Christ Jesus. This is discipleship. Are you willing to suffer for Christ? Jesus says, count the cost before you follow me. He says, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus demands our lives. He says, give it up and you'll find it. Paul is modeling a life that the Philippians are currently or soon will be experiencing. You see, this, this wave of persecution is about to happen from Emperor Nero, where he is going to take Christians and light them as torches in his garden. Persecution is coming, Paul is saying, get ready to advance the gospel because it will be for Jesus. How do we respond? How does the church respond? How, did the, how does the church in Rome respond? Are they timid? Are they cowardly? No. No. Paul actually tells us. He says, yes, the gospel's going forth. And then he says in verse 14, the church is fearless. The church is fearless. This is what he says. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
our suffering leads to gospel advancement in fearlessness, boldness, confidence from brothers and sisters in Christ. The people were not afraid. Their confidence grew and increased. It multiplied. Paul's talking about the brothers and sisters in Rome. They're the ones who are becoming more confident. Paul writes this incredible letter to the Romans. And in Romans 1.16, he says, I'm not ashamed. This is, our, this, is our, this is our motto, right? Like, this is who we are. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is why we can go forth, because we go in the authority of Jesus. And this message we have, it brings salvation to the world. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. These Romans, these brothers and sisters around Paul, they're becoming more confident in light of seeing him boldly proclaiming the gospel, even in the midst of suffering. Most of the brothers have been emboldened, much confidence. Are you emboldened by others' faith? Do you, here's a question. Do you know the faith of your brother and sister well enough to be emboldened by it? Right? Do you know what they're going through so that when you see them stand up for Jesus, share Jesus, exude joy, does that embolden your faith? Because you actually know what's going on in their lives. This is why the early church, this is why we desire to do life together. We want to know one another. We want to know one another's struggles. We want to know what's going on in your families. We want to know what's going on at work. And we want to be there. We want to, we want to grab a hold of one another and walk with one another. As we do this, our faith will increase. Our confidence will increase. In Acts 4, we see this on display. The early church, Peter and John, they're, they're taken before the council. And <clears throat> they're questioned, they're told to stop, they're threatened, and then they're released. And this is the neat thing. They go back to the church. The church doesn't cower away. They actually drop on their knees and pray. And they pray for even more boldness. Oh, sovereign Lord. Right? That's, they cry out to God. They're like, give us boldness in light of this persecution. And the gospel continues to go forth. As we trust Christ, as we advance the gospel together, as we go through trials and suffering together, our faith, our boldness, our confidence will be stirred and it will multiply. And then Paul goes on in verse 14 and he says, not only not only are they confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, but they're much more bold to speak the word without fear. They're, they have boldness in the word. They're boldly proclaiming this good news. There's a, there's a renewal of excitement in the church. It's not timidness. It's fearlessness. What does it mean here, right? He says, he says they're much more bold, or they're, they, they, yeah, they're much more bold to speak the word without fear. What does it mean to speak the word? As we, as we progress through Philippians, as you see the other letters, Paul's talking about the gospel going forth. 
This word is, is a boldness, a confidence, a fearlessness to proclaim the gospel. So what is the gospel right? that we're supposed to be proclaiming? What is it? It's simple. Jesus saves sinners. Jesus saves sinners. That's the, that's the word that they're proclaiming. That's the word that we proclaim. Maybe it's the word that you need to hear this morning. That this, this word that Jesus saves sinners, you've never accepted that. You've, you've never realized or acknowledged your brokenness, your sinfulness. You've never acknowledged that your sin separates you from a God who loves you and longs to know you. You see, this, this, this gap can't be crossed by good works or knowing other gods. It's, it's bridged by Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus was sent by the Father to take our sin. Our sin deserves death. Jesus took our death. This is the good news. This is the word. And the good news, the gospel, is that if you will turn from your sin and trust in Christ, you'll be saved. And it's a free offer. It's a free gift. This is the gospel that the church proclaims. This is the gospel that brings you into the church, the family of God, so that those sitting around are now brothers and sisters in Christ. I encourage you. If you came with somebody that you know loves Jesus, I would encourage you to talk with them. Find out what's different about their life. Find out why Jesus is worthy, is worthy of suffering for. He says that they speak the word without fear. You see, fear holds many of us back from sharing the good news. It holds us back from sharing news with our, with our friends, with our family, with our coworkers, with our neighbors. And I think, it's, I think it's helpful, like, why? Why are we fearful? Where does it come from? Is it, a, is it a, just a fear of man? Is it a fear of being judged? Is it a fear of losing those relationships? Is it a fear of being an outcast or being rejected by those that we thought we were friends or family or neighbors with? Where does that fear come from? Paul says, as the church has been seeing that his imprisonment is for Christ, that, he, that they've actually grown in confidence and that they're bold to speak the word without fear. And this is the reason he writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 8. I think this is a great call on our lives to remember Christ and what he's done on our behalf. Beginning in verse 31, this is what he says to the church in Rome. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress 
or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it's written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What do you have to lose? Suffering for Christ and boldly proclaiming the gospel. Nothing. Nothing. Your life cannot be stripped from you. You have it in Christ Jesus. Your death is gain. May we live with boldness. May we pray for boldness. May we pray that God would continue to advance his gospel all around this world. For Jesus is worthy. As as Matt comes back up to lead us in our final song. Understand life life throws some curveballs at us. It's difficult. It's, It's not... We're not promised a carefree, easy life in following Christ. This is not your best life now, right? Your best life is to come in Christ. We're actually promised persecution and suffering because if the world hated him, then the world will surely hate his followers. Paul Paul here in, in Philippians models for us how to live for Jesus even when we're hated and we're suffering. We've really, in, man, in Paul's life, we see, we see this. We've seen a man that's on fire for the Lord and how it led to the advancement of the gospel. A man, singular. Could you imagine a whole church that lived like this? A whole church that said, no, my life is in Christ and I want to see the gospel advanced through suffering, through adversity, the gospel would move through our city. It would move through our state. And others would become fearless for the cause of Christ. That's our hope. That's our longing. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's example, pointing us to Jesus. Not pointing us to himself, but pointing us to Jesus who was his life. May Jesus be our life. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.